Hallelujah. Well, good to be with you all tonight on the hottest day of the year, I think. Woo! If not, it's close to it. If you don't like the heat, you can blame Miss Angela and I because we like it. (laughs) In the middle of the wintertime, we were longing for these days, so praise the Lord. But glad to share the AC with you tonight. Also glad to share uh, greetings on behalf of Pastor John and uh, Miss Anita, uh, who are just taking a week vacation. They'll be back here on Sunday for church picnic Sunday. We'll be having a good time right here on campus. So you can go ahead and bring your cooler, your picnic basket, bring your fried chicken. Yeah, just go ahead and live it up with your church family here Sunday. We'll have a great time. Look forward to that. Uh, but, but before we uh, have the Sunday afternoon activity, we got the most important activity of all, the Sunday morning activity, 9.30 a.m. And uh, look forward to, as always, to being together with the family of God. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want to go ahead and dig into the Word tonight. And uh, we're going to start something that we'll begin tonight and look to wrap it up uh, next Wednesday night. And I want to minister to you about the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And so we'll start that today, and then we'll look to go ahead and uh, wrap up on uh, next Wednesday night. And uh, just to give you a little uh, introduction regarding this, and by the way, those of you that did bring... uh, uh, your uh, tithes and offerings tonight, what we'll do is uh, we'll look to uh, uh, go ahead and uh, uh, pray for, for you and, and bless our offering at the end of the service before we go, but we'll just dig into the word right now. Um, first of all, uh, as we approach this subject, you got to understand that when you're talking about the body of Christ, that you, you first realize that there is a physical body of Christ that Jesus Christ was here on the earth for about 33 and a half years, that God came to earth. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, I love the wording where uh, the, the author of the book of Hebrews is, is capturing what Jesus would have said when he came into the world. And he uses these words, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And so realize that when Jesus came into the earth, one of the most important things that needed to be done was for him to have a body prepared for him. And then to realize that the body that, that, uh, that was prepared for him and the design whereby that body was prepared, God was very intentional to see to it that he was not, that the, uh, in order for him to be the last Adam, he could not be infected with the same infection as the first Adam. You know what I mean? So that's why by means of the virgin birth, God found a way for, for the body of the Lord Jesus to, to be born here in the earth, but not be infected with the infection of sin. Hallelujah. To, to, uh, to, to do it legally, but to bypass what would usually be the, the, the route of things. And if you've got a, 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 a father who's infected with what Adam was infected with and a mother infected with what Adam was infected with, then you've got a baby that's infected with the same infection. But God found a way to bring the, the perfect, not, 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 not dismissing the fact that Jesus was and is God, but God found a way to bring the perfect man into the world. Jesus, as though he, he was son of God, also referred to himself as the son of man. But he was the perfect one. He was the one who got tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Hallelujah. That's why he's our hero. Because with no unfair advantage, he showed us that living this life with the, with the help of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit and by praying and staying in contact with God that you could live this life successfully. Glory to God. He was the pattern that showed us that it could be done and now, hallelujah, we get to follow the pattern and live a successful Christian life following the pattern himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. So Jesus was the word made flesh. We understand that. 
Uh, Jesus physically came here in a physical body. Jesus died physically. We understand that. We understand his death on the cross. He was physically buried. They literally put his body in the tomb, and it was his literal physical body that came out of the tomb three days later. I remember having this uh, uh, radio station um, on one time, and these guys were, you know, were, were not professing to be, uh, uh, you know, Christians or ministers or anything like that. It was just somewhere around uh, uh, Easter season, and they were talking about Jesus having a spiritual resurrection. And I, I thought, you know what? If Jesus has a spiritual resurrection, what evidence is there of that? And also the idea of what meaning is there to that anyway? I want you to know there's not anything that's spooky and mystical about the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to know that, that a, a, a dead man's body went in the tomb and a dead man's body came out the tomb. Now, you could talk about the, the sense in which Jesus was spiritually raised from the dead in the sense that, that uh, uh, he, uh, he, he went and, and, and paid the price that we should have paid and hell tried to hold him down, but hell could not hold him down and he spoiled every principality and power that was trying to hold him down, <laughs> cast him off from himself and won the victory, hallelujah, in the spirit realm. We realize that. But I want you to know that, that the, we're not going to cheapen the resurrection and, and try to say that the resurrection was some kind of mystical, spiritual, ooey-gooey kind of substance. No, we're talking about a, 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 a physical body went in that tomb and a physical body came out of that tomb. And besides that, when Jesus ascended into heaven, a physical body actually went and ascended into heaven. It said that while he was speaking... While they watched, and uh, for reference, you can check out Acts 1 verse 9. It says, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Hallelujah. So that's talking about the physical body of Christ. The physical body of Christ is in heaven for now. But the group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are functioning on the earth today, along with the group of believers that have functioned uh, throughout history since Christ's ascension into heaven. Those are called the body of Christ, and it is this group of those true believers in the Lord Jesus that we're going to be talking about tonight and in the next week. Now, let's go ahead and ask this question. How do you get into the body of Christ? This seems to be a, a special group, an elite group, how does one get into the body of Christ? Well, the Bible makes it real clear. First of all, with John chapter 3 and verse 3, where Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. And he said this to him. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the idea is being born again. Jesus went on to explain that this is not you being uh, entering your mother's womb a, a second time and being born again in that sense of the word. But, but he's talking about you being born of the spirit. Somebody once wisely said that if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That made me want to shout. <laughs> Romans 10, 9, talking about how do you get into the body of Christ? You got these words uh, of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we, we see the idea of being born again. And another term that the scripture uses to describe that same experience is being saved. And that is the moment when somebody puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when someone believes that, that the, the, the Lord Jesus, uh, first of all, they're confessing him as their Lord. That means that, that by so doing, they're, they're not going to go ahead and be the boss of their own life anymore. They're willing to say, Lord, here is my life. You be the boss of my life anymore because I've done a lousy job of it. But then also there's the recognition that uh, the, the belief in the heart 
that God raised him from the dead. You're believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he shed his blood, and his blood has the power to wash away your sins, that Jesus is raised from the dead, as we were talking about before, not, not something that's mystical and spooky, but that Jesus literally is resurrected, raised from the dead, and you believe that he is the Son of God. Hallelujah. That person has entered into the body of Christ. That person there has uh, received the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of them. Because the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of a believer when they become a believer, when, when they become born again, when they become, as another scripture says, a new creature in Christ. That's the moment where the Holy Spirit comes and indwells. Now, that's different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other subject where, where there's a distinction between the Holy Spirit coming into you at the new birth and one being filled with or baptized with the Holy Spirit. But your first initial Holy Spirit experience takes place when you are born again. That's when he comes inside of you. And what does he do at that point? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. The Holy Spirit literally baptizes you into the body of Christ. We understand baptism in water. We just had a water baptism recently. I know Pastor John has some plans in the near future to be able to minister along the lines of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But this is another baptism the Bible talks about called baptism into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit does that and how important it is to be a member of the body of Christ. It makes an eternal difference. Now, as we dig into this a little bit further, I want you to realize this. First of all, um, and uh, just to kind of give you an idea of where we want to go over the next uh, few weeks, and tonight if I've got time, I want to hit this. I want to talk about the head of the body, the parts of the body, the unity of the body, and the empathy of the body. Now, when I say empathy, that, that's, uh, that doesn't mean that, well, as long as everything's good for me, it's good. See, that's a selfish way of thinking. That's the opposite of, the, of Christ-likeness. The empathy of the body means that if somebody else in the body of Christ is going through something, that that does affect you, it does impact you. In the same way that you would like it if you were going through something. Ah, oh, Lord, come on, follow the golden rule now. If you were going through something, that you'd like somebody to be going through that thing with you and feeling that with you and walking through that with you rather than saying, well, as long as everything's good with me, I'm good. Come on now. That's just a side thought. So, so those are the things that we're looking to hit tonight. The head of the body, the parts of the body, the unity of the body, and the empathy of the body. And then next week, uh, what I'd like to do is to get into the culture of the body, the submission of the body, and the function of the body. All right? So, glory to God, the head of the body. First things first, the head. And I want to look at John 3, 34. And uh, this is the, the New King James. It says, For he whom God has sent, speak the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Now, the original King James of that says this. It says, For he whom God hath sent, speaks the words of God, for God gives not the Spirit by measure to him. Now, that, that can sound like tricky wording. God does not give the spirit by measure to him. What does that mean? What it means is that when God gave the spirit to Jesus, that Jesus received all of the spirit that there was to experience. All of the spirit that there was to flow in, all of the anointing there was to flow in, all of the gifting there was to flow in. Jesus got the unlimited dose of the Holy Spirit. And in a sense, if you follow me here, uh, Jesus, when he was on earth, was really the only body of Christ on earth. No pun intended there. But uh, he was the, the one who was the apostle. The Bible calls him the apostle and high priest of our confession. 
He was the one who was a prophet, clearly a prophet. He identified himself as such when he said, no, no prophet is without honor except in his own country. He was the evangelist. He was the one who shared the good news. He went everywhere preaching the good news of the kingdom. Hallelujah. He was the pastor. He was the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And he was the teacher because everywhere he went preaching, he also was teaching. He, he went doing some proclamation, but along with the proclamation came some explanation. Hey, hey all right. Now, you, you see Jesus even functioning in what we would call the ministry of helps. It's interesting that there's one point where you see Jesus uh, doing what needed to be done when nobody else wanted to do it. Hey, hey, does that sound like the ministry of help sometimes where, where uh, there's a job that needs to be done at the church, but it's not a real glorified job. It's not a real desirable job, but somebody's got to do the job. And Jesus was in that position when he was uh, the, the night before he was crucified. No, nobody wanted to take on the role of the servant. There was no servant there. There was a basin there. There was water there. But, but the, the traditional idea of the servant washing everybody's feet as they came in, nobody was going to do that. So Jesus made the determination if nobody else is here to do the job, I'm going to go ahead and do the job. So you see Jesus not just being the example of how to function when it comes to ministry anointing, but Jesus functioned even when it came down to what would be considered the most basic element of the ministry of helps. I mean, we're not even talking about glamorous helps. We're talking about the least glamorous thing. But Jesus came to serve. Hallelujah. He said, the son of man did not come to uh, be served, but to serve. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus operated in every sense of the anointing, in every dimension of how somebody can be anointed with the Spirit, used by the Spirit. Jesus flowed in all of that. And he had the Spirit without measure. That means the unlimited dose of the Holy Spirit was deposited into Jesus. But the individual members of the body of Christ today have the Spirit by measure. So there's no one individual that has all of the gifting and the anointing there is to have. Because now that same dose that was in Jesus is now spread out through all the individual members of the body of Christ. Are you with me on that? So you've got some people who are apostles, some people who are not. Some who are prophets, some who are not. Some who are evangelists, some who are not. Some who are pastors, some who are not. Some who are teachers, some who are not. So some who are uh, gifted in, in the area of, of giving, especially some people just with a, a real anointing and bent given to them by God to be a giver. Some people given to hospitality. Some people given uh, to, um, um, uh, to a, an administration, an organization. The, the, the many giftings of God are now not all found in one person, but distributed throughout all the individual members of the body of Christ. Can I hear an amen on that? Uh, when we were in Bible school, uh, uh, we, we uh, uh, made a joke about, uh, the, you know, some people that would, you know, look at themselves in such a way as though they were, uh, you know, called by God to do everything. And, uh, and, of course, that, that was the day, there's not so much now, but that was the day of business cards. You know, now, now, now we're friending each other on Facebook and keeping contact with other people. But, you know, back in the day, business cards was the thing. You know, you, you, know, you, you always had them with you to pass them out. And, and you, you had a collection of other people's in your wallet and so on. And so the, the joke was the person who had the ape business card, ape, like, you know, the animal, the ape, A-P-E. And that means that on their business card, they had apostle, prophet, evangelist. But, but anyhow, just, just a little bad humor of what we laughed about back in my old Bible school days. But I, I, I hope there's nobody here with an ape card tonight because we're talking about you right now. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, is that we realize that, that as individual members of the body of Christ, you know, you, you've got something from God. You've got an anointing from God. You've got a gifting and a function that God has put in you. A certain amount of the DNA of Jesus is in you. A certain amount of what Jesus was anointed to do is in you. 
But you don't have to go ahead and be responsible for somebody else's part of it. You just got to be responsible for your part of it. You know, it's interesting in the latter part of the book of John, um, you see uh, 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 Jesus uh, making reference to Peter regarding what Peter was going to be experiencing in his future and, and uh, the, the kind of death by which Peter would ultimately glorify God, you know, in, in martyrdom. And uh, Peter looked at John and said, hey, uh, what about this guy? What's he going to do? And Jesus said, if I want him to hang out until I come back again, that ain't none of your business. You just follow me. And so right there, uh, there was such a beautiful uh, illustration right there for us to remember and to follow that that somebody else's assignment should not be all that much of a big deal to you. Because whatever somebody else's assignment is, is not what you're going to go ahead and be dealing with on the, the last day when you stand before Jesus. Jesus is not, not going to ask you about what you did with somebody else's job. He's going to ask you about what you did with your job, what you did with the DNA he put in you, the gifting he put in you. What did you do with what he gave to you? You're part of the pie. You're part of the responsibility. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 1. 22 through 23 says this, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head. That's talking about Jesus, by the way. He put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, uh, the amplified classic of verse 23, I want to look at that real quick. It says, which is his body, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, for in that body, in the body of Christ, lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete. Hallelujah. So, so that full measure that was in Jesus, the full measure that was in Jesus is now in the body of Christ. So there's not one person who has it all, but the whole body of Christ as a whole, the individual members, the giftings and the anointings are distributed all throughout the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Now, we recognize that Jesus and only Jesus is the head. But at the same time, there are scriptures that show our oneness together with him. This is what I mean by oneness together with him. Uh, most people, if they saw me coming, they would not say, uh, here comes Pastor Ray in his head. And they also would not likely say, here comes Pastor Ray and his body. They would simply say, oh, there's Pastor Ray. Here comes Pastor Ray. So in the light of that, I want you to consider this, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, talking about believers and unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. So the believers called righteousness, the unbeliever called lawlessness. What communion has light with darkness? The believers called light, unbelievers called darkness. What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial, another word for Satan. So Christ referring to the believer, Belial to the non-believer. And then you see the clear wording believer and non-believer there at the end. But it's interesting that the believer here is referred to as Christ, where the body is called by the same name as the head. Very interesting. How, how serious is Jesus about that? How serious is Jesus about that connection and that union? Well, look at uh, this. Uh, the apostle Paul, before he became the apostle Paul, was known as Saul of Tarsus. And uh, in, in the book of Acts, you see him going and, and just absolutely beating people up, dragging them into prison, persecuting the church. I mean, he just breathing fire out of his mouth doing it. But then he was on the road to Damascus one day. And it said, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul was not directly persecuting Jesus. Jesus was already ascended to the right hand of the Father and seated there. 
So Saul was not directly persecuting Jesus, but Saul was persecuting the body of Christ. And by so doing, Jesus thought that if he was persecuting the body of Christ, if you're doing it to the body, you're doing it to the head too. You see that? Isn't that amazing? That Jesus himself considered that union, that, 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 uh, that, that it's not me and them. It's not me, the head, and them, the body, separate. No, if you're doing it to the body, you're doing it to me. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 25, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. If you've not done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've not done it to me. That's how much of a connection Jesus sees between himself as the head and the body of Christ. And also, uh, uh, this is an interesting thing. The scripture also clearly states that that Christ needs us. I know that's a foreign concept because we would say, well, I need Jesus, but Jesus doesn't need me. But, you know, in the same way that how much would your head get done if you had a command center, but you didn't have a body that, that could carry out the commands of the command center? I mean, we, if we were just ahead, we could have some great thoughts and we could, mm, I'm trying to send a message, but, but I'm not connected to anything. The, I'm trying to send signals. I'm trying to send, uh, you know, an electric signal or whatever it is to a certain part of the body. But if the head's not connected to the body, the signal can't go anywhere. Jesus needs his body. Look at this. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, once again, who's the head of the body? Christ is the head of the body. The head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. Interesting, isn't it? So we realize our need for Jesus because a body without the head ain't going anywhere. I mean, that's obvious. But at the same time, the head cannot function without the body. The head cannot have a place to send signals to if there's not a body there to send signals to. And Christ is the head. We are the body flowing together as one. And there's uh, many other verses that clearly state Christ as being the head. And uh, I, uh, there, uh, there's four in particular. I, I have those in the notes which are available on our website, uh, faithccenter.com. But right now, I want to go ahead and look at Ephesians 1 as uh, we're going to go ahead and go a little deeper into this idea of Jesus being the head and what that means. So uh, Ephesians 1, uh, and uh, this is the context of what's called the, the working of his mighty power. So, so we're going to look at that, the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Those last few verses we read a little earlier. But it's interesting that here, what we just read, it talks about all things being under Jesus' feet. So for us to go ahead and start thinking the right way about the body of Christ, we we need to understand this. If something is under Jesus' feet, then that means it's got to be under our feet. See, feet are part of the body. And if he's far above all principality and power, then we must be too. We are not separate from him. You see, we, we see, uh, we, we think of ourselves too much in only the physical. See, we, we think about ourselves physically here on earth, and so therefore we don't think of ourselves as being uh, anywhere else but here. But the Bible says, the Holy Bible says, that we are seated together, not someday, but today, right now, as a believer in Jesus, as a member of the body of Christ, that you are seated together 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 
with Christ in heavenly places. Wow, glory to God forever. So that means that right now that you are seated together with him and anything that he's over, you're over. Anything that's under him, if it's under his feet, it has to be under you because feet aren't part of the head, feet are part of the body. So if it's under the feet of Jesus, it's under the body of Christ. That means, uh, I mean, uh, you, you know, uh, whatever part you are, if, if you are the center of the sole of the foot, anything that is under Jesus is still under you. Hallelujah. Now, we also see the headship of Jesus when it comes to setting members in the body as he pleases. That means you don't pick your own spot. You don't pick your own spot. He picks your spot. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, but now God has set the members or the parts of the body, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. So remember that, that the head has the ultimate say-so of where you fit in the body. You don't pick your spot. He picks your spot. But the, the, the good news to realize is that he has made you for that spot. He has graced you for that spot. He has gifted you for that spot. The very DNA that you need inside of you to fulfill that function in the body, he has deposited that inside of you. Which means that the, the ultimate joy and happiness that you could have, the ultimate sense of fulfillment is not in you trying to go and do your own thing, but the ultimate fulfillment is in you fulfilling the purpose that the head of the church has designed for you to fulfill in his body. Mm, glory to God. Talk about being happy. Happy, happy, happy. That's how to be happy. That's how to be fulfilled. Glory to God. Now, think about this, that how Christ our head conducts himself towards the church is actually the perfect picture of how a husband should conduct himself toward his wife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Someone say, yeah, come on now. <laughs> Ephesians 5, let's take a look. This is a beautiful picture here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Keep on listening here. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I want you to know that the Lord loves us, us, his body. He loves us. He gave himself for us. He washes us with the water of his word. He nourishes and cherishes us. He treats us as if he would treat himself because he does not view the head and the body as being disconnected. He views the head and the body as being one, connected together as one, functioning together as one. Hallelujah. So if Jesus don't treat, if you couldn't imagine Jesus treating himself bad, then he won't treat you bad. Because we are the body of Christ. And in the same way that a husband would not hate his own flesh, but nourish and cherish it, he'd take care of himself. So the Lord does the church. Amazing, amazing scripture. If you want to go ahead and get a little glimpse uh, into how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife, yes, but also a good glimpse into the way that the head of the church, the head of the body, takes care of his body. Hallelujah. 
Now, what about the parts of the body? So we know Jesus is the head of the body. What about the parts of the body? First of all, you've got to realize this, that the body is both in heaven and on earth. Paul, when he was praying in Ephesians 3, he said, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That means people that have already run their race and people that are currently running their race are all part of the same body. Hallelujah. And also, the body is made up of both external and internal parts. We understand that from uh, the natural, that, that there are certain uh, parts of the body that can be seen externally and certain parts you can't see because they are internal. And uh, so, therefore, uh, this shows that there's parts that are more visible, some that are more behind the scenes, but the ones that are behind the scenes are not less important because they're not visible. Lord, have mercy. We don't see your heart. You need that. We don't see your brain. You need that. Of course, we, we won't use the brain because that's part of the head, but we can go ahead and talk about other internal organs, you know, your, your, your lungs, your ability to breathe, uh, your intestines, your ability to, to digest. Things that cannot be seen unless you are opened up. And yet those things are so very vital, though not seen. So the, the Bible actually talks about both external and internal parts of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, which is a masterful chapter regarding the body of Christ, uh, written by the Apostle Paul uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, uh, he says, certain in verse 12, he says, for as the body is one and has many members. Now, when you see member, just think parts. That's just another way of saying parts of the body, members of the body, parts of the body. For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? So here, uh, the Apostle Paul is, is using the imagery of the external parts of the body, the, the hand, the foot, uh, the ear, the eye. And, and we wouldn't think of the parts of our body having a competition with each other. You know, uh, we don't think that our ears say, oh, I'd like to be an eye or the eye saying, I'd like to be an ear. You know, our ears just, you know, happily move along doing what they're supposed to do, hearing. And our eyes happily move along doing what they're supposed to do, seeing. And our tongue is tasting and uh, our, our, our fingers for touching. Every part of the body doing the assignment that it's designed to do. And not being in competition or envying the other. Or saying, oh, I wish I was you. Oh, I wish I was you. You ever heard your body have a conversation like that? If you've ever heard your body have a conversation, oh, Lord, we'll pray for you. <laughs> but but, but th this is a real good example because in the body of Christ, there should not be this kind of stuff going on where I, I want to be that. Why ain't I that? Why is he that and I'm not that? Or she's that and I'm not that? That kind of thing going on because that doesn't have anything to do with us anyhow. I mean, uh, who places us in the body as it has pleased him? That's the head's business. Our job is to go ahead, yield ourselves and submit ourselves to the head of the church, to the head of the body. Amen. Now, now check this out. The, these following verses mention internal parts as well. This is Colossians 2. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. So we saw the importance of uh, 
the external parts of the body. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 12. Now here he's talking about joints and ligaments. Isn't that interesting? And then also we, we see the same idea in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 15 and 16. It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I love that term, knit together. And it dawned on me in a fresh way that some members of the body are really part of the knitting. When I say part of the knitting, they're, they're part of the fabric that holds things together. Oh, come on, are you with me on that? You know, the, the other day, Angela and I were, were praying for, for someone's mom, and uh, 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 this person referred to their mom as the, the glue of the family. And, uh, and I said, well, we, we want the glue to be sticky for a long time to come. And that's the idea of somebody with the gifting of being part of the knitting, where they're holding things together. That they, they, uh, what they do may not appear flashy to some, but there's just something in their gifting where they can go ahead and hold things together, that they can go ahead and, and be the connection between this and this, this person and this person, or, or this area and this area, or this function and this function, they are part of the fabric that, that holds things tightly knit together. Uh, uh, the, the connection between one and the other where the supply in one area can flow into the supply in another area or, or help to supply the other area. And that person can be part of the knitting, part of the fabric, or in some cases, the conduit by which something can flow, where a supply that's here that needs to get over here can flow. And that person is the one through whom that supply can flow. Amen. So, remember this, that every member has a supply. If, if you get this, this is something so important to get, that every member of the body of Christ has a supply. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get into specific functions next week. But the idea that everybody has your part to play. As a matter of fact, we just read here, and what we just read, it says the effective working by which every part does its share. So the idea of carry your own weight. You know, I often heard the statistic that's been put out from time to time about, uh, what is it, uh, 80% of the, uh, no, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. That ought not be in the house of God. Come on, somebody. I'm going to wave at you tonight. That ought not be in the house of God. You know, whatever it is, some are more visible, some are, some are less visible. But, but if you just know your place, you know your part, you know you're part of the responsibility, you're, you're part of the weight to carry in the house of God, and you make sure that gets done. Amen. As opposed to, to being a, a, a church freeloader, you know, looking to go ahead and uh, kind of swim on what, what somebody else is doing. You're looking to get, uh, enjoy the, the air conditioning that the, somebody else's tithes paid for, oh Lord. Or, or, or you know, uh, 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 rather than you doing the, the, the work that God has uh, ordained you to do, that, that you're, you're kind of go ahead and piggyback riding on somebody else. That is not the will of God. God's got a function for everybody, a job for everybody. And you want to know your happy place. Your happy place is when you're doing the will of God, when you're functioning in the place that the head of the body has placed you, and you are fully functioning in that way. Woo, talk about being happy. One of my mentors would say, you'd be as happy as if you had good sense. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's talk about the unity of the body. We'll, we'll get as much into this as we can. I don't want to keep you here all night, but, but we, we can dig into this a little bit. The unity of the body. Start with Romans 15, 5. 
Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. But this language here, like-minded toward one another, functioning with one mind and one mouth. Wow. Is that possible? Truly must be if the word says it. And I got to tell you, this is something that is so over and over and over again emphasized throughout scripture. Second Corinthians 13 talks about being of one mind and living in peace. Acts 4 talks about all the believers were united in heart and mind. Romans 12 and verse 16 says, be of the same mind toward one another. Wow. How about Philippians 2, verse 2? Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one, of, cor- of one accord, of one mind. 1 Peter 3 also talks about being of one mind. Philippians 1. I know we're reading a lot of scripture here, but I want you to be able to see how absolutely Serious God is about this based on the amount of emphasis and the amount of Bible real estate he's given to it. Philippians 1, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let's go ahead and read a little bit more. Ephesians 4, 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Hallelujah. You see, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, that there is one body and there is one Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, here's the thing. There are people that will not totally agree with you on the way that you see the Bible. There are some people that may not totally agree with you on certain aspects of scripture and doctrine. But if somebody believes the absolute bare essentials, you can go ahead and fellowship with that person. If somebody believes in in the, the, the blood, if somebody believes in salvation by Christ, by his redemptive work, by his blood, that there is no way you could work for it, that, that it's by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. You know, if you can agree with somebody on the very basic foundations of doctrine, that's all right. You may not think that the, the, uh, everything regarding the second coming of Jesus the same way. You know, there's people that, that are, are, are convinced that, that God has uh, blessings not just there in the afterlife, but blessings here in this life. And there are some people that think we're, we're just going to go ahead and kind of scratch and scrape by until we finally get to heaven. Well, you know, I mean, if, if they're a believer in the, in the, the, the basics of salvation and the foundations, the, the non-negotiables of the faith, then that's all right. Praise the Lord. But I got to tell you what, you, you have a better ride on the way there than them especially if they're not expecting God to have any kind of blessing for them here in this life, you know. But, but that's not a, a, a deal breaker where I just can't have fellowship with you, you know. Uh, they're, they're missing out on the blessing that God has for them. But, but that's, the, the, I mean, the, you know, they love Jesus. They're living for Jesus. As a matter of fact, the, the, the only thing they could accuse us, us of is thinking God's too good. Well, go ahead and accuse me of that. He is too good. <laughs> He's been too good to me. Hallelujah. 
But, but I'm saying that just to make, make it clear to you that you may not agree with somebody on every detail of doctrine. But if you agree on the non-negotiables of the faith, the things that are, uh, uh, that, that there's no, there's no talking about, there's no, there's no varying of opinion on this. You either on, on the side of truth or on the side of error. And because uh, here's the thing, you know, ultimately when we stand before the Lord, everybody's going to find out some things they were right about and a few things you were wrong about. Oh, wow, look at all the great enthusiasm I got from that. Someone said, wait a minute, I thought I was right about everything. Come on now. But, but you know, uh, consider this as well, and I think we made that point. I want to go ahead and move on. But, but the, if there's an ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit, an ultimate goal of Jesus, the, the head of the body, it would be this, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. So God's goal is that there not be a schism or a division, really a rent or a tear in the body. Because you see, what division will do is cause a rent or a tear. What division will do is cause things to be out of order, cause things to be in a position where... Uh, that there's a gap between where there should be no gap. When we're supposed to be flowing together and, and uh, we're, we're joints and ligaments that, that are connected and closely connected, you can't have a gap there when you're supposed to be closely connected. And that's the important, that's the goal of Christ and the goal of the, the spirit, the goal of the Godhead for the body is not to have schism or, or division or uh, a, a renting or a tearing in the body, but that everything be working together and functioning together. Also, it's important that there be no cliques in the body. No groups. No, nobody saying, I'm a, I'm a fan of this guy, and I'm a fan of this guy, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Paul said, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So you got these cliques going on where someone says, well, we were taught by Paul. And the other said, oh, yeah? Well, Paulus, he's a great teacher of the word. I, I, I'm from his school. Well, well, how about Cephas, who is Peter? Uh, Cephas is another name for Peter. Well, Peter was the head apostle during, during the ministry of Jesus, you know. I'm with him. Or someone said, I'll oh, forget all you guys. I went straight to the head. I'm of Christ. And what, what was happening is that cliques were being developed. Paul corrected that, said it ought not so to be. And also think about this. And in the time of the, the writing of the New Testament, you ha- if, if there was one big thing that the church had to get over was that they had to get over uh, uh, the, the Jewish members of the church had to get over Gentiles being part of the church. You know, I mean, they, they had to get over their, their biases and their, their prejudices. And, you know, uh, you know that, that idea there ain't no bacon-eating Gentile going to come in here and, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> ain't no pork chop eater coming around here. Forget about it. But, but Ephesians 2, we, we see this. Paul says, therefore, remember that you, verse 11, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Hallelujah. So there still are Jews out there, and there still are Gentiles out there, but then the body of Christ is a body that's made up of Jews and Gentiles that have made the decision to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And what he did, he created in himself one new man from the two, and he reconciled them both to God in one body through the cross. Hallelujah. That is amazing, isn't it? So here we are, and one of the biggest divisions of that time being the division between Jew and Gentile, and now that both Jews and Gentiles uh, who, who used to, uh, you, you know, the, the, the Jews would say, I'm not going to go ahead and associate with them. And the Gentiles, are, well, they, they think they're too good and too holy to be, hang out with me. But I'll tell you, they found a new home right there together in the body of Christ where, where the, those, the, those who were circumcised, those who were not circumcised, the, the, those who were staying away from the bacon and those who were piling on the bacon. We're just going ahead and, and loving each other and serving God and dwelling together in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. How about Ephesians 3? It says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the, of the same body. See, this is what he did, that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs of the same body. You know, the scripture says in another place that there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord Overall is rich to all who call upon him. Hallelujah. Where, where there was a, a, a line of uh, separation. Thank God. Now, now that line of separation is gone. And now all men, no matter the background, Jew or Gentile, no, no matter the, the, uh, the nation of origin, no, no, no matter uh, what, what part of the world you're from, whether you're from Africa, whether you're from Europe, whether you're from, whether you're from South America, everybody, everybody, there's a place for everybody in the body of Christ. We read it on Sunday morning out of Revelation 5 where every tribe and tongue and people and nation were standing before the God and singing the song of being redeemed by the blood. Hallelujah. That's the body of Christ. Now think about this. Um, I may not read all of these verses. We, we might just read a few of them, Jane. I want to give you a heads up. But, but Caiaphas, who was a high priest, uh, uh, at, at one point in the book of John, when they were uh, discussing what they were going to do with Jesus, he actually said something that, that he did not say on his own authority, but, but he spoke really prophetically about uh, it is expedient that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. And it's interesting, even though he wasn't, he wasn't really functioning all right, he was uh, anointed by God to stand in that place and he said something that, that was right. Like you said, a broken clock is right two times a day. Come on now. And, and this is a case where, where, where this man, who even though he was against Jesus, actually spoke something prophetically that was accurate about Jesus. So let's see. Um, uh, yeah, it's a verse 50 here. Uh, uh, consider this, that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Keep going. Now this he did not say on his own authority, yet but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Talking about Israel. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Isn't that awesome? Glory to God. That Jesus did not die only for the nation of Israel, but that his goal is he wanted to gather together in one, 
in one body, the children of God who are scattered abroad, the children of God all over the face of the earth, uh, the children of God in all the different families and tribes of the earth, all into one, all into one what? All into one body known as the body of Christ. Now, as we close tonight, let me just tell you this. Powerful things happen when the body gets unified. On the day of Pentecost, it says they were in one accord in one place. And what happened? There was the sound of a mighty rushing wind that came in the house where they were sitting. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> and cloven tongues like fire appeared on their head. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. How did that happen? Because Acts 2, it says they were all in one accord. Acts chapter 4, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And what happened? After they prayed, the place shook where they were. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of God with boldness. These things happen in the context and the atmosphere of unity. Let me tell you this. Psalm 133 says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together with you in unity. And then it goes on to identify the oil flowing. It said it's like the oil that was poured on, on, on uh, Aaron's head and went down his beard and down the skirts of his garment. The oil flows. The spirit moves. The spirit of God is able to accomplish great and mighty things and flow and have his way. In what kind of setting? In the setting of unity. So why is this so important, what we're talking about? This idea of being of one mind and of one heart and all this emphasis that the scripture says. Because if we get to this place, then we're setting ourselves up to have an atmosphere where God can do amazing things that will blow your mind. Somebody. So if we're hungry for this and we desire this, there is not another way to get there. This is the way to get there, to be in one accord, to be of one mind and one heart. It sets up the atmosphere whereby God can do everything he desires to do in our midst. Can I hear an amen? amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, we honor you. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God that, that is so rich, that, that is so detailed, that, that is so perfectly clear. And Father, what a joy and what an honor it is to be members of the body of Christ. And Lord, we want to pray for anybody that might be here or anybody watching on live stream tonight that may not be part of the body of Christ, but they can be tonight. They can be born again tonight. They can experience the, the beauty of calling on the Lord.